Thanks for joining me this morning uh, to um, do something slightly different, to have a conversation about the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. This year, like any other year, uh, we are plastered with the nativity scene, the nativity story. An all too familiar story, whether one goes to church or doesn't go to church. I'm sure um, many people have attended their children's uh, uh, a nativity play at school or at church or in a community centre in some shape, form or another. I guess with your three children, you've seen your fair share of nativities? Things? Certainly have, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and usually this year there won't be one. No. Um, but yeah, we, we've obviously gone to a variety there. They, they do try and change it over the years, interject you know, different cultures sometimes, yeah, yeah. different views of it, but there's always inevitably a very traditional nativity scene at some point. With your children, have you, I, I know I'm asking you questions, and you're, you're gonna be asking me questions in a minute, but just thinking, um, I, I've, I've seen some nativity scenes where there's very little um, identification of the true, what we say is the true nativity scene, which we'll come back to in a minute, um, like uh, dragons and dinosaurs and, and fruit and veg and all kinds of different have you have you experienced anything similar oh certainly um i can't remember whether it's kind of christmases around the world or something like that but, but i think they did one year um various kind of songs and things yeah i can't it reminds me of um is it love actually with the oh, octopus and okay. the uh, nativity <laughs> yes. play i'm sure there's been various kind of obscure characters prop up um i remember back when i I'm sure it was a Christmas show. Uh, when I was at primary school, I was a wall. A wall? Yeah. Wow. That's hard going. That's a joke, by the way, that hard going. Oh. Don't worry. Uh, I, I know my jokes aren't very good. <laughs> I'm just going to read a couple of little um, stories of that very thing about parents. These are true stories of parents that have um, 
shared what it was like for them and their children. So first of all, um, this short one here, congratulations to everyone else's children who didn't think it was appropriate during the nativity play to snog Joseph. Lick Joseph. Hold the baby Jesus like a mobile phone or stuff it up her dress and simulate childbirth. Nope, just my child, just my child, so proud, says mum. And the other one I got in here is, in, in reception, Caspar was cast as one of the sheep in the school nativity play. Walking onto the stage, Caspar, number one sheep, was very insistent that he should be the first in line. The problem was his friend also wanted to be first in line. And what should have been a gentle walk onto the stage ended up being like a stock race, car, a stock car race, with both of them trying to barge each other out of the way. It turned into a full-on fight on stage at school in front of all the parents, with the other sheep joining in and only finished when Casper's friend took the inside lane as they raced around the corner, sending Casper flying into the audience. Now, I've never experienced a nativity scene quite like that, but um, I, I do love, I don't know about you, I love the nativity scene. I, what do you love about the nativity scene? Well, for me, it's that kind of um, out of the way image, back alley picture of, just you know, a dark back alley, yeah. um, you know, unimportant, uh, uneventful little place in a bustling town, um, mm. and this happened back there. Um, you know, I, I like I like the image, and I'm sure it's not uh, accurate of kind of just that barn on top of the hill, completely isolated, silhouetted with a star above it. But that kind of isolation uh, for Mary and Joseph yeah. at that time is kind of something that sticks out for me. Have you got a favourite nativity scene? You know, there's loads, isn't there? And in a, in a moment, we're going to have a, a look at some of the nativity scenes that I've got. I've got quite a few set up in my house and um, I've taken a few more photos and had some photos sent in to me of different scene, uh, nativity scenes. Do you have a particular favourite? I don't know. Uh, growing up, I think we had some ornaments quite similar to this kind of style, much, much smaller. Um, uh, around Christmas. Uh, at the moment, we, we've got kind of a carved wooden scene, oh, nice. uh, yeah. so the face that's kind of fairly um, just basic human shapes. Yeah. Um, but there's something nice about that in this raw wood state, um, just a nice picture. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I oh, wonder how we get all of this, um, all the characters. Um, we haven't got any animals here, um, but most nativity scenes would have animals. Um, we mentioned earlier about dragons and dinosaurs and uh, all kinds of octopuses and so on. Um, where, where, where do you think this originates? Well, I suppose the Bible does say about uh, laying a manger. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of it's probably extrapolated. No, I mean, I think I'm, it's only speculation, but I imagine there was animals around a lot um, in that culture, anyway. Yeah. I, I read some years ago um, that it originated from uh, France of Assisi. Right. 
um, and there was um, uh, a monk that followed Francis of Assisi, um, Saint um, Bonaventure. And um, for the last five years of um, Assisi's life, um, he followed him. And in tribute to him, um, he set up this nativity scene in around about 1223, they believe. Um, and um, he was permitted by the Pope to do this, the Pope at the time, to do this. And he was permitted to put the characters in the story um, from Matthew's Gospel and from Luke's Gospel. And he was permitted to have two animals. Only two animals. What animals do you think they were? I would perhaps, I've got to say sheep. Um, right. And I don't know, maybe, maybe a cow? Right. I can tell you, you are right on one of those, right? Um, you are right on the ox, oxen, okay. okay, the cow. I'll give you that one. But it was not a sheep. Really? It was an ass, All right. a donkey. Well, I suppose, well, yeah. there we go. Is yeah. that where the uh, idea that it came on a donkey came from? Well, Indeed, and, and, and I, remember, I remember in one church that I was leading a Christmas service and I'd done a Christmas comp, um, quiz and we had the community in and church folk and um, I put a question on there, um, how did Mary arrive in Bethlehem and um, how many wise men were there? And um, when I gave the answer to say that we don't know how many wise men there were and we don't know what sh how she arrived, um, somebody in my church who's a long-standing um, person in the church stood up in the middle of the service and said you're wrong and uh, they claimed that there's three wise men and that she came in on a donkey and I, I, I continued saying that there wasn't and, and without trying to cause a complete disruption on the service I said why don't you go back and look in your bible and then come back and tell me next week uh, where it is and I will I will admit I'm wrong and they came back the following week and they said, I couldn't find it in my Bible. I did give them direction. I said, the only place you're likely to find it, if it's there at all, is Matthew or Luke. And, they, and she said, where did I get that from? Where did I get that understanding from? And it was very much like Francis of Assisi um, and the Christmas cards and the, and the, um, uh, um, the presents and the, and the stories that we get today yeah. uh, and the carols the carols as well. So um, it is interesting. Um, I... I, I I recently read in one of my studies that, um, I don't know, if you look at my ring, Rich, can take my ring a minute and have a look at that. Sorry, I'll drop it there, social distancing. Um, it's not that shiny, is it? It's, it's not as shiny as it was when I first got it. Yep. Inside there is an inscription. Can you read the inscription? No, I, th I can see it. Right, well, it says 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. Right. Okay? Um, the reason why you can't see it very well is because it's not very clean. It's not as um, clear as it was when it was first um, produced. And this is what's happened to the nativity story. It, it's been co covered over with so much stuff um, and it's lost its originality um, over the years, it's a bit like a, a gold ring or a diamond um, not being cleaned and, and kept polished and to its original condition. And the nativity story has in, is in danger of not reflecting its original purpose. And I think that's where we find ourselves with the nativity story. Um, and, um, and 
and, and you and I are going to have a conversation, aren't we, about the origins of this, not yeah. from France of Assisi, 1223, but going back to what Matthew and Luke and indeed some of the prophets, uh, Isaiah, uh, Daniel, uh, Micah and, and others, um, who um, revealed to us what really took place at that time and what does it mean for us today? Okay. Should we take a look at the, the scriptures? We'll have a little break with some slides yep. and then uh, we'll look at Matthew and Luke and some other scriptures. Welcome back. <laughs> so we've looked at kind of the image of the nativity that we're really familiar with, um, whether it's in this kind of style or, um, like I said, the carved wood style or the children's nativity um, show at Christmas. And so we've got concepts and like your story of absolutely dead set, there were three kings, there were, um, yeah, whatever kind of things we're really familiar with, the donkey and everything. Um, but really, you know, Francis of Assisi's, but where did it come from before that? And that's the scriptures. And it's always interested me that actually um, the nativity is only accounted in two of the Gospels. Um, but looking closely at it, even those accounts are very contrasting, aren't they? Um, there are. There's quite, quite a few contrasts, actually. Like one of the things that sticks out to me, you know, in, in this series of uh, defining moments is actually... Luke includes a lot of um, characters. Uh, you've got Mary, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and then you've got moments between Mary and Elizabeth, um, and Mary's song, and all these moments, kind of personal, intimate moments, uh, is where Luke seems to go. Um, and then you've got the shepherds and the host of angels, whereas Matthew is much more kind of just bang, 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 really, with kind of key facts and... Um, obviously starting off with the um, genealogy as well. Yeah. Um, so it's much and, more kind of fact-driven rather than... interesting, the genealogy between Matthew and Luke are different, mm. although Luke's account is after the story, yeah. the, the birth story. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. And that, so it's much more fact-driven rather than kind of intimate moment-driven. Mm. That's what stuck out to me. Yeah, and what, what sticks out to me is how Jewish Matthew's account is. Mm quite mal-dominant, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. he, he focuses on, on Joseph and, yep. and the Magi. Um, I don't know how many, because it doesn't say. <laughs> um, but, um, and, 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 it, and it relates, it parallels very much to, um, to Exodus 1 and 2, 
with the story of Moses. Yeah. Moses being born and the, the um, execution of mm -hmm. all babies mm -hmm. under the age of um, two um, in Exodus by Pharaoh, in uh, Matthew by um, uh, Herod. Um, so that the, the, the whole story is, is, a, is a parallel. And some scholars would say that um, Jesus is the new Moses, yeah. if, if you like. Um, but that's because Matthew is right into a Jewish audience. Mm. And I like what you said about the, um, the intimate moments, the defining moments, well, in both accounts, but more so in Luke, because um, Luke writes with men and women in mm. mind, mm. and he focuses a lot on women, which is a real challenge, because Luke is writing to a more Greco um, audience. Um, and, and again, the, the, the accounts of things like the, um, the, the, the journey to, the, the place or the conception of birth, um, but yeah, there is quite a lot of differences. And there's this sense of Luke wanting to reach the marginalised, the poor, the oppressed as well, whereas um, Matthew doesn't focus so much on the, the poor and the oppressed and the marginalised. Yeah, which is, I suppose there's that contrast thing because it's Matthew that includes the major, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But Luke's including the shepherds. That's right, yeah. Um, so they're contrasting characters. And I found it really interesting uh, the other week when Jill brought up the fact that Mary was approached first and asked for consent, really, and that, you know, is Luke's perspective. Yeah. Whereas Matthew kind of, not, not that he ignores it, but he goes quite quickly into Joseph's point of view and wanted to divorce Mary. And then yeah. the angel, like the, the, the account of the angel in a dream to Joseph is only in Matthew too. Um, almost like there's a, almost a sense of uncomfortableness that Matthew maybe doesn't want to, not that he doesn't want to acknowledge it, but it's just like that tension between what is custom and what is kind of the new way that yeah. Jesus is bringing in. And I think um, there's, there's, there's um, a theologian who sadly passed away now, who um, talks about the Matthew and the Luke account being parabolic overtures. Right. Um, meaning they're like synopsis or summaries or um, a bit like a trailer to the full gospel story. Yep. So um, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, he would say this, this is a guy called Marcus Borg, um, quite a liberal theologian. And he, um, he would say that, this is, that those first two chapters are just an insight to the rest of the gospel mm. according to Matthew and Luke. Um, so you could summarize. So, so Christmas is like a parabolic overture, an intro, a trailer mm. to the bigger story, to the full story of God. Well, I think sometimes we look at it as a kind of, this is what we're building up to. Yes. You know, you've got Advent and that kind of looking forward to, and then this is the main event. Obviously, Jesus coming into the world is a big deal, yeah. but it is, it's just kind of the spark that continues it. Yeah. And I like what you were saying about, um, uh, I forget my point. <laughs> Right. It'll come it's going to happen. Well, it was just like, it was Moses, that was it. You said about the parallel in that story. And the Bible is full of that kind yeah. of patterns that are used. Um, and just repeating something I, I've heard before, um, in suggesting that the wise men that came from the East um, can be traced back to the book of Daniel. Yeah. Um, and when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that none of his wise men can uh, interpret because Nebuchadnezzar won't tell them the dream. 
he insists that they tell him the dream and its interpretation, and none of them can do it. So he plans to kill all the wise men, that kind of sect um, and that tradition would die off. But Daniel steps forward and says, don't kill them, I'll, my, or my God will interpret the dream for you. Um, and so he's able to do that, and God gives him that revelation, and those wise men are not killed. And this uh, preacher that I was listening to just was suggesting uh, that that allowed that um, part of the story to continue, that those wise men were then those that came and gave Jesus gifts, um, yeah. not least you know, gold that enabled them to flee to Egypt, yeah. um, and how God's story actually will not be stopped by human intervention. Yeah. Um, whether it's killing off wise men that have provided financial resource, or Herod trying to kill um, uh, all the young boys. And it's, and it's a, a reflection of the two worlds that collide, isn't it? Mm. Um, and, um, and it must have been a defining moment for the Magi, men, astrologers, uh, stargazers, who, who were not really interested in the religiosity of mm. um, Israel, mm -hmm. but were fascinated in their scriptures that was pointing to a saviour, Messiah. Interestingly, at the time, um, Augustus um, Caesar then, um, he was known to be um, the, 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 the Lord, um, uh, God. Mm. Um, he was the saving one. He was the one that's going to bring justice and peace. So to, at the time, to, to say anybody else was God or um, Messiah was, was um, treason and treated with absolute severity to the point of death. So when Jesus is born later on, at the time when Jesus is born, um, the Roman Empire has no real knowledge of it and no interest because it's, it's not doing anything mm. because as, as you said, it comes in a, a back street, a, a, a low key. There's no platform, there's no front stage. Um, front stage comes 30 years later. Um, so, um, and that's when the Roman Empire, about the first century, the Roman Empire starts to take an interest in this. Mm. Who is this Messiah? It's only Caesar that's Messiah. So that, that was a political um, issue to yeah. call anyone else Messiah or God or, or Lord or, or bringer of uh, peace and justice because um, Rome did it by military power, by political power, by economical power, by ideological power. So to have an ideology different to um, the Roman um, gods and, and emperor and imperialism was a serious deal. Mm. Um, so there's, the, there's a big issue of theology going on here. Um, we don't see it today because we're all sort of living in peace and harmony with, <laughs> with state and religion. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the turn of the fourth century again when Rome and the church merges. Mm. Um, and there's a danger that we don't think that believing in Jesus is a political issue when yeah. it is. So people are just left to believe what they believe, yeah. as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else and the state gets on with its business. Yeah, yeah. Whereas at this point, they were very much intertwined, weren't they? They were indeed. I, I want us to, to listen to a bit of scripture yep. um, from Luke's Gospel, and then I want us to sort of round it up. So what does the nativity scene really mean for us today? And, and what are we looking for when we look at the nativity story, the nativity scene? Um, what is it really pointing to? How much has society and, and religiosity um, confused the original 
purpose and meaning and story behind it. So we're going to look at that in our last section, um, but let's listen to some scripture um, from Luke's Gospel. Fantastic. Our reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a saviour who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favours. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So we've looked at um, you know, the traditional nativity scene, we've been exploring the scriptures um, and we've kind of looked at how Luke actually looks more at those defining moments, those personal intimate moments. Um, and moving on in the story a little bit, we're introduced to another character, Simeon, um, as Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be um, circumcised at the temple. Um, 
he introduces this character Simeon and three times mentions that he's full of the Holy Spirit. Um, that seems quite significant to reiterate that many times. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Who would like to get three mentions of the Holy Spirit <laughs> um, against everybody else getting one mention? Let, let me just read some of the ones that get the, the Holy Spirit mentions, all right? Yep. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, John the Baptist. Um, he is never to take wine or other fermented drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Before he's born. Imagine that, eh? Goodness me. My mum fell down the stairs when I was, she was pregnant with me and all I got was a bump on the head. Oh, well, that explains a lot. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and, and then verse 35, Mary gets a mention. Of course, Mary gets a mention of the Holy Spirit. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then Elizabeth, verse 40, 41 of Luke's Gospel, um, she gets a mention. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, again, Luke's concentration on women is huge here. Um, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, who could become speechless. And when he agreed to name the baby John, that's when his voice was returned to him. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, then, and then Luke says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. That's when he was uh, allowed to speak again. And Luke, again, as you say in Simeon, let me just read that bit. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He had been revealed, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So three times he is mentioned. This is, this is typical of Luke, um, scholars say, not me, I'm not a scholar, I read from scholars. Um, and they say it's typical of Luke because he's really focused on the spiritual side of God's intention for the world. Because if you read through Luke and read through Acts, the Holy Spirit gets front stage um, uh, highlight. Yeah. And, and, and scholars would say that this is, and Tom Wright would certainly say this, that this is a, the confrontation between the two worlds, where two worlds are colliding. The nativity story is not a pretty scene mm -hmm. in, in, in episode one, 2,000 mm. years ago. Episode one, 2,000 years ago, this was a big deal. King Herod heard about it some two years later, and he tried to infiltrate the Magi, and he wanted to get in on the scene so he could do away with the... Interestingly, isn't it? He asked... The Magi, oh, he, he, he's, he's, he's wise men, his own counsel, where is this child to be born? Mm. What's going on? He doesn't know his own scriptures. Yep. The king of the Jews, King Herod, the, the highest religious position you could ever imagine, doesn't know his own scriptures. What an embarrassment. <laughs> what an embarrassment. Um, and th therefore the Magi cut on to this and they, and, they, and they don't give it away. They, they, they leave by a, another route and mm. another time so they can't be uh, executed by King Herod because he did execute over half his family um, to, to get his position and power. So, so this is not a pretty scene. This is not a pretty time. Um, no room at the inn. Do you know, interestingly, the inn... Um, a guy, uh, this guy here um, called Kenneth Bailey writes a really good um, account of the, 
um, nativity story, the account um, on, uh, from a Middle Eastern perspective. Right. Um, he says a lot of things about how we read the scriptures from yeah. a Western perspective. And he says about the house uh, or where Jesus would have been born. We often talk about um, it being a stable or a cave. Mm. Um, and um, he, he believes it's more to do with a house. It could be a cave because a lot of houses were built um, on rocks, aren't yeah. or under rocks. Um, so there's an interesting take about um, the manger and how that, what that really looks like, what scene that looks like. It's definitely mm. not what we get on our Christmas cards. Yeah. Um, so, so he talks from a Middle Eastern cultural perspective uh, about how um, they would have been very welcomed in that area, but we get this picture that they weren't welcomed. We get this horrific story of two worlds completely at odds with mm. each other. And Tom Wright says that this is um, a story, an account of the fact that God is bringing the kingdom of heaven to a world of imperialism, oppression and evil and violence. And in a controversial way that seems low key at the start, mm. God is gonna transform the world. And we get these defining moments of wholly unlikely characters. The Magi, not typically church or Israelite people. Yeah. Um, Mary and Joseph, not even married. She's very young. An unmarried couple becomes pregnant. Mm. This is a controversial story. This is not a clinical Christian or Israelite story. And it's important there, you know, not not to bring it into our context too much because obviously that that concept is not so controversial now uh, but then it really was yeah it was a huge deal um, but it is interesting like you say actually the different people attracted to this event with the major coming from a completely different area different culture different experience with not with the jewish upbringing and jewish scriptures um, and jewish traditions and then mary and joseph um, but also the shepherds who obviously were entrenched in, in that culture, but just at a very different level. That, you know, they were low, they were unimportant. Um, and their view, you know, goodness knows what they must have been thinking with the Roman occupation and um, the way their livelihood was affected. Yeah. Um, and yet they're drawn to this event, this defining moment for their life. Yeah. Um, it's huge. And, and if you notice in that reading that we had, I don't know, you might want to read it again, but count how many times manger is mentioned. And, and what's your definition of a manger? Mm. Um, we get this sense of a crib, like yep. not too dissimilar to what we got there. But again, um, Ken, Ken, Kenneth Bailey um, gives a, a great description of the likelihood of where it would have been. It would have been in, in, a, in a normal house or an inn, which would have been like a, a house where they would have had a guest room. Mm -hmm. and they would have had a, a, maybe one or two guest rooms that were up a platform of a few steps. Um, and at the bottom of the house would have been a, um, either separated by a bit of timber or, or certainly lower, where at night they would have brought the animals in. Mm -hmm. And there would have been a trough, an animal feeding thing yeah and that's where they laid jesus yep. this is the belief um that that's the likelihood um if it was in an inn that's where jesus would have been um placed um so he gives a, a very middle eastern again approach and and picture of what that looks like and what the house looks like and it's going to come up on the screen 
So, so you'll get a picture of, of this, is, this is no ordinary story. This is the, the line of David, the royalty of David through Joseph coming in a very lowly, um, unannounced way. But the shepherds, the shepherds, what is it about the shepherds and the manger? The angel, Gabriel, is punching in the manger. You've got to go and find him in the manger. The manger, you, no one would have put a baby mm. in a trough. Mm. I hope, <laughs> right? Nobody, particularly in Middle Eastern cultures, that would have been unheard of. So the point of the manger for the shepherds was, you won't miss it. Yeah, yeah. You look for them, because they didn't know where to go. Yeah. They just got this angelic um, uh, herald um, announcement of, you know, good news has come to you. So therefore, go and find the baby Jesus, the Messiah. And they're like, how do we find him? <laughs> we don't get all of that, do we? I could, if, that was, if, if God said to me, Brian, go into Peterborough and look for Jesus. He's laying in a trough. I can't think of a place in Peterborough that there would be a trough. No. So I wouldn't know where to begin to look. Now, they must have gone through a lot of houses. Hello? No, that's not him. <laughs> Hello? And people were like stunned. Hey! And they were rough characters, as you say. They yeah, were, yeah. They were not characters to be messed with. These are, I don't know what the equivalent of today would be. A lot of people say homeless people, mm. um, scary homeless people. Mm. But that's a, ter a terrible stereotypical type of homelessness. Um, but I don't know, whatever worst case job, hard case bouncer maybe, I don't know what you, your picture you would have in your head of the worst type of job for the hardest type of people. Um, uh, you could think of um, who are the least respected. Um, they were said to be, at the time of, 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 of the Council of the Bible, um, they would set up insurgents against the Roman Empire. They were really tough people. Um, and, but they looked for the, person, for the baby Jesus and they found him in a manger. Um, so that's where we get the whole idea um, of the, 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 where Jesus would have been born and um, the link between the shepherds and the manger. And, and, and Luke's point here, I would say, relates to this story is for all. Mm. It isn't for those that think that they are religiously clean, religiously sorted. I mean, how can God reach people who think that their life is completely sorted? Mm. Because if your life is completely sorted and you think you tick all the boxes, all the religious expectations or all the biblical rules and regulations that you might decide to live by why would god need to reach you if yeah. you're so perfect and that's the thing i think as well you've got like the character of herod who actually this story makes him really uncomfortable yeah makes him worried um and so you, you've got the magi who are intrigued who travel who want to find out more you know they're, they're probably in a position where actually they were respected in their place yeah uh, you know you imagine them being quite well to do um quite happy and comfortable but they were intrigued by something and that that drew them along whereas herod probably has everything that he could ever want but actually is made really uncomfortable and nervous yeah. by this event um and every one of those characters point yeah to the savior of the world yeah and this is what um the scriptures does isn't it the scriptures, whether you're looking in Isaiah, whether you're looking in Exodus, whether you're looking in Daniel, um, Micah, wherever you're looking, it's all pointing to the saviour of the world. 
God with us. As I promised you, every week I will have a mug, a new mug. And I've got a new mug that says Bible Emergency Numbers. And my Bible emergency number for you today is from um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, if we want to define in moment, we've got to look to the word of God, which is, as we know, Jesus. Not everything solves, gets solved because we say Jesus. Mm. But Jesus is able to show us a way through the world that we live in. Yeah. Because our two worlds are colliding. And they're colliding in a horrific way. Least of all during this COVID. Or not least of all, should I say, during COVID. But what is your Bible emergency number for a time such as this? How do you get a defining moment in your life? Do you look at what the nativity scene has become to look like? Or do you look at what it really means. What are you looking for when you look at the story of Jesus? Are you willing to allow God to fill you with a defining moment through his Holy Spirit? Are you willing to be a part of his story? Because he loves to be a part of your story.